from the book of Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, well, good morning. I'm Cam. Thanks for hanging on for a second there. Um, really glad to be here. Uh, if I haven't met you, I would absolutely love to. My wife, Kayla, and I, we've uh, been serving here at Trinity for the past year or so. And uh, we both serve with this organization called Athletes in Action, serve athletes on campus. Um, so we, we love this church. We're so glad you're here this morning. Um, I had this really crazy uh, kind of occurrence happen to me a couple weeks ago. Um, I was at the park with Blakely, uh, my little girl, and I don't know if you ever taken your kids to the park. It's like the best conversation thing because you don't have to actually talk to people. Like there's like a lull in silence. You just kind of like baby talk to your kid and you get out of everything. It's great. Um, but I'm in this moment and it's just me and this, it was actually me, my daughter, and there was about nine or 10 year old kid. And he comes up to me and he's just a, a real friendly guy. He comes up, he says, hey, I'm Greg. My friends call me Greggy. I'm like, oh, what's up, Greggy? Like, you sound dope. <laughs> I'm like, I'm Cam, this is Blakely. He's like, that's cool, do you like her? I'm like, yeah, she's not bad, she's fine. <laughs> Cries a little bit, but most of the time she's fun. And then Greggy looks at me and he goes, hey, just so you know, I know Taekwondo, so don't try to kidnap me. It's like, uh, got it, bro. Easy peasy, I won't do that, okay? Um, but anyways, that's about as close to a fight as I've been in in 28 years, okay? <laughs> so just so you know who's talking to you as far as when we come in about the armor of God and war, it's like, I'm, I'm not really your typical guy there, okay? Like, catch me with a rom-com before a war movie any day, okay? When people come up to me like, hey, did you see American Sniper? I'm like, no, but have you seen 50 First Dates? Because that's pretty good too, right? Like, that's just, I just wanna, I just wanna kinda set the ground here as we step into spiritual warfare because, um, I don't know. And anyways, sorry, I'm just gonna drop that. Um, also, I, I also just kind of, around this passage and this verse, it always just kind of, I, I kind of shied away from it because if there was like one thing that, that held me up from really following Jesus and, and really like selling my life out to the Lord and, and, and following Christ, it was kind of just like the general cheesiness and corniness of it all. Um, I felt like they like spoke a language that I'm like, I feel like I'm just like different. Like I felt like I was an outsider in different places and especially like this verse for some reason. Because one of my buddies, he had this mug that was like Ephesians 6.10, like put on your armor, suit up the battle armor of the Lord or something. I'm like, dude, what is that? Like that just felt so foreign and so weird. And all these, all these sayings that we just read, they felt like kind of cheesy cliches. And I don't know if any of you guys resonate with that at all. But I also think that sometimes if, if, if we just see them as cliches, we just see these things as cute things to put on our coffee cups and we actually miss everything that's happening in the unseen realm, well, we're bound to miss the significance and the importance of this passage. So I actually this morning, I wanna piggyback off of what Jeremy preached on last week. So if you missed last week, go ahead and podcast it. 
But Jeremy really hit on verse 12, which we just read. He said, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. So Paul's reminding us here, right as we start, he's saying, hey, you're in a battle. You know that, right? Like be a human for like a week or a month and you realize there's struggle, there's hardship, there's problems, there's people. And what he's saying is, but your battle isn't what you think it is. It's deeper and it's bigger. Your battle, he said, is not against flesh and blood, but there's a spiritual enemy, that there's a someone, there's Satan, the devil, who is not just an impersonal force, but a person who is out to seek and to kill and to destroy you. And he has these schemes that he does it. And last week we talked about his demonic rulers and authorities, these highly structured and tightly coordinated organizations of evil, uh, evil authority that are underneath him. We talked about the evil powers of this dark world, that behind the global corruption, the systemic racism, the, the murder, the slavery that exists all throughout the globe, there's actually a deceiver and a murderer and the oppressor himself behind all of those things. And then the evil forces in the heavenly realms reminding us that the real reality, that the invisible, eternal, non-physical, all of this happens in a world that is pretty much blind to us and we're pretty much oblivious to all the time. So last week we talked about, and, and we attempted to, by the help of the Holy Spirit, to open our eyes to see the spiritual world and the unseen realm that we actually live in. And what I want to talk about today is how Paul charges us into the battle, which he says is a battle, and we're supposed to be fully equipped with this armor that he calls the armor of God. So let's pray. Father, even as we sat in silence and we just welcome your spirit and we, we continue to do so, we just say, come Holy Spirit. In order for this to land in our hearts or our minds, we have no power in and about ourselves to do any of it. We don't need mere words this morning or mere talk, but we need the power of the Holy Spirit. So we invite you to come to reveal Jesus to us. Would you uh, open our eyes to all that we have in Jesus? Would you open our eyes to the armor that we're about to look at and to the enemy? We pray that you would bind him even right now. Even as we talk, we know he's, he, he, he longs to block any sight and view of Jesus. So would you just block him right now as he, as he longs to blind our eyes? Would you lift the veil that we might see you, Jesus? We probably sing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I actually need to start with a confession this morning also. Um, I, uh, I grew up, it's not popular here, but I grew up a, a, a huge KU fan, okay? I have to admit, I loved me some Jayhawks. I'm from Colorado, but my mom's family is from Kansas, so I loved KU, okay? And, I, and I'm actually not alone. There's some other people in this church that are. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna call anybody out, but Casey Smith and uh, Julie Anderson. Um, there's a couple K, uh, KU fans in the house, okay? Actually, but then I married my wife who played basketball here, and some people say they're true sons. I say I'm a true son-in-law, right? Like I, I wasn't born into the family, but I'm in there. Like I'm at Christmas, I'm at Thanksgiving, like I'm a part, like M-I-Z, like let's go. The KU is kind of dying in me. The real dramatic spiritual people say, this is a great picture of moving from death to life. You were a KU fan, that's living in death. And now you have new life in Jesus, that's Mizzou. A, a little bit probably poking at, you know, how much do we love Mizzou sports and how do we, anyways. Um, I had this memory of KU playing in the final four. A long time ago, a little while ago. Um, and I remember I had a baseball game the same day um, and I couldn't watch the game. So I, my dad recorded the game, right? Praise God for DVR, right? When, when like the, 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 the responsibilities of life and the love of sports collide, we love the DVR, hello, right? But 
my dad recorded the game and I kept telling everybody in the dugout, hey guys, like don't tell me about the Final Four game because I want to go back and I want to watch it like it's live, like I wanted to experience it. And of course, like we're like 12 year old boys. So somebody, you know, they just like were messing with me. They told me, hey bro, did you know KU won? I'm like, dude, ugh. And I was sad, also really happy because they won, right? But that night I went back and I watched the game. And I watched it in a completely different way than I would have if it was live, right? Like every shot that KU missed, I was a little upset, but I wasn't frazzled because I knew they won, right? Every time that, 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 that KU turned the ball over or, or North Carolina went on a run, every missed shot that Mario Chalmers had down the stretch, I, I was a little upset, but I wasn't, I, I wasn't wrecked by it because I knew. It didn't derail me because I knew KU was winning this game. When they put the press on at the end of the game, I knew KU's got this press because I knew that they won. And as we look, even before we enter into spiritual warfare and looking at this battle, and our role and how we combat it all, we have to know that we already know the results of this war. That we're not participating in a game that's undecided. It's not this 50-50 shot here. There's no spread. Heaven isn't favored by 10 points, but there's still this slight chance that the underdog might come through. No, it says that heaven wins. Jesus wins. In Revelation 12, John has this prophetic vision of the future and he says this, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. So in this war, in this fight, we don't fight for a victory. Okay, this, this, is, this is completely important how we interpret this. We don't fight for a victory, victory, but we fight from a victory and we interpret everything through that lens. We know how the story ends. We know who wins at the end and it's not the devil. Satan and his powers and his principalities and his evil demonic forces behind the broken systems of the world, they lose. They lose at the end. And it's why even one of the pieces of the armor that Paul talks about is this helmet of salvation, which refers to this future hope right? He says that our current hope is rooted in a future reality, and that is the salvation of our souls and the complete victory over Satan and his forces. So hear me, there is an urgency to this. First Peter chapter 5 says that, that we're to be alert and of sober mind, that your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So there's, there's an urgency, there's an alertness and a readiness to this but because we know how it ends, there's no fear. There's this deep-rooted rest and security that brings authority in the spiritual realm, not fear. And that's why Paul starts with this in verse 10, right? He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He's reminding us that there's a strength that's required for us to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, but it's not your strength. That there's a power that is absolutely required for you to stand against him in this spiritual battle, but it's not your power. Even the word or phrase here is far better taken as a passive command than an active one. Some other translations would say that it's to be strengthened by the Lord. That's, that's our passive command in this. And the phrase in the Lord is vital. Without it, the exhortation to be strong is actually dangerous and useless. Because Sam Storms, who Jeremy quoted a couple times last week, he says this, self-reliance in spiritual warfare is suicidal. Believers do not strengthen themselves, but our strength 
comes from God. You can consider some of these phrases from some of our best spiritual warriors in the, in the scriptures, right? First Samuel 30, it says this, and David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each of his sons and daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Or Second Chronicles chapter 20 says this, listen, all of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and, king, and the King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. Even Psalm 28 says this, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him, my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song, I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. So in a world full of battles, full of struggle, in a cultural moment that is also shouting at us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, muster up your own strength, be courageous, be strong, be self-made, be independent. The invitation from Jesus is actually to come to him and to let him strengthen you. Though your heart is weary, though your flesh, it fails again and again, he says to you, I'll be your strength. I will be your strength. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. But there's also this command that Paul gives us, and it's to put on the armor of God. That's how we actually stand in his strength. And what Paul is saying here is that God has equipped us. He's given us equipment or tools, per se, to, to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. But it's our responsibility to put it on. In order for us to experience the freedom and the authority that Jesus has purchased in its fullness, we must actually put on the armor of God that's provided. So we have access to it. We lack nothing. You don't, you don't, you don't achieve some spiritual hierarchy or no, some new spiritual level where you actually get more access to more armor, but it said, hey, you have access to all of this. You just have to put it on. You have to receive it. It's like a doctor who gives you medicine. The medicine doesn't actually do any good unless you actually take the medicine. And that's what Paul's saying here. You have this armor. You just got to put it on. It's similar to what we talked about a couple chapters ago in chapter four, where Paul talks about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And part of your new self actually, uh, it consists of this spiritual armor. And when you think about putting on this armor and your need for it, you can't help but do a little self-diagnosis, right? Because you know who needs armor? People who are actually in the fight, right? In the same way, in a battle, I don't know much about battle, but in a battle, people who are closest to the king, they end up getting shot at the most. They end up being right in the, in, the, in, the, in the line of fire all the time. So as we walk closely with Jesus, as we see our lives in this spiritual battle, we need and we'll see ourselves lacking if we do not have God's armor. So how do you see yourself when it comes to your life with God? Are you a spectator or are you a participant in this war? This old dead pastor said, God wants an army. He doesn't want an audience or to participate as God's warriors. That's the imagery that Paul is drawing us into. And he starts with the belt of truth, right? The first piece of equipment is a belt. Not the flashiest, okay? He's got a sword he could have started with. He's got a big old shield that he could have started with. He's got a nice swag helmet, but he said, now the first thing you need is a belt of truth. And one of the reasons we see this is because the first time that we see the devil plunge into the story of God, 
he's distorting the truth. That's where he starts, right? On page one of the Bible, we see a good and perfect God who creates and makes everything out of the overflow of his love and his generosity. And he creates men and women in his own image and gives them this purpose to be fruitful and to multiply and to rule and to reign over his perfect creation. He sets them up for success and he just gives them one restraint, one restraint, right? He says, did God really say that you couldn't eat from that tree? Oh, pardon me. He said, don't eat from that tree. That's, that was what the devil said right there. He came in a little early, right? He said, don't eat from that tree or you will surely die. And this creature comes into the scene, the devil, Satan, which can be translated the adversary. And he isolates the woman and he just throws out a simple idea, right? He just, just an idea. He says, did God really say that? And the rest is history, right? Here we are. One, one, one bite from, from, from a piece of fruit and here we are with everything that sin has done to our world and ourselves and our relationships and everything. And it started with just an idea. Dallas Willard, he says this, that the devil came at Eve, not with a stick, but with an idea. As if to say, like, let's look at the first attack, the first demonic satanic attack in the Bible. It was him saying, did God really say? That's it. Just an idea. And that's how he attacks us is through ideas. Ideas are the primary force that helps us to believe what we believe. Ideas inform our thoughts. It's what is shaping the way that we view the world, right? Swiping through three things like Instagram or Facebook, they seem meaningless and not so powerful. But now we've got books and documentaries and all kinds of stuff saying, hey, that stuff is controlling you, right? But all it is is just ideas. They're just planting small ideas and they realize that ideas shape our motivations, ideas and shape the way we intake and receive information. It's just ideas. It's the idea on Instagram when you see somebody on vacation that you're like, man, that looks great. And then all of a sudden you're flooded with comparison and envy and jealousy and all it started with was just an idea, something really, really small. So what Paul is saying here is that in order to stand against the schemes of the devil, you need truth because the devil is a liar. It's who he's always been. He deceives and lures people away from reality through ideas. That is all truth is, by the way, is just reality. It's God's reality. It's the way that things actually are, right? I'm, I'm assuming everybody else, everybody in here has seen Inception, oldie but a goodie, good movie, confusing movie, but a good movie. We get it, but it's a good movie, right? But in, in the movie, the main character is Dom. Nobody even knows his name. They just like Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio. His name's Dom Cobb. I looked it up. Forgot him. Anyway, Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio, right? He, he's, this, he's this thief, and he has this rare ability to enter into people's information from him. And dream to like the fourth power, right? He's like in a dream, inside of a dream, inside of another dream, inside of another dream. What happens is his kind of view of reality gets skewed. He kind of doesn't know, am I, am I in real life or am I in a dream? He, he doesn't really know. So he has this thing, right? He has this top that he spins. And when he spins the top, he knows he's still in a dream if the, if the top just keeps spinning, right? If it just keeps going and going and going, he goes, okay, okay, I'm in a dream still. But if he spins the top and then the top drops and he knows, okay, I'm in real life, in other words, what he was saying is he needed an objective standard outside of himself to tell himself what he was about the truth. Paul starts here by saying that before you do anything else, you need to live in reality. You need to see what is actually happening. And Jesus, who identifies himself as the truth, not just tells the truth, but he himself is the truth, longs for us to live in reality, to see things the way that they actually 
are, to see things based on how he sees things, that his ways that are higher than our ways. And this is why you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, right? To see reality is to be in freedom. And that's actually why we need our Bibles, by the way, not just to check some spiritual box, but because we are in an all out war to live in reality, to live underneath the truth, because there's a war for our minds and our thought lives and how we see reality. And we need something outside of ourselves to ground us to what is really happening. We need something outside of ourselves to ground us to what's actually happening. And then Paul continues on into the breastplate of righteousness. So he says, you need a belt of truth, and then you need a breastplate of righteousness. And breastplate, right, like it, it, it would take up a huge chunk of you. You're, you're going from like your chin all the way down to like your kneecap. Okay, this thing covers up almost all of it, but most importantly, it guards your most vital organ, your heart. You can hit my quad, I'm cool, but, but you get one of those things, those darts, whatever they're shooting back in those days into your heart, you're done for. So he says, you need, you need the truth, see things how they really are, and then you need a breastplate of righteousness. And it's important to understand that because one of Satan's most common and effective strategies to undermine your faith and create doubt in your heart is by reminding you how wicked you are and how many times you failed. How many times you've fallen short recently or in the past, that's what he wants to do because he wants it to derail your faith and your walk with God. But the covering of the breastplate of righteousness reminds us where we actually derive our righteousness from, right? Paul says this in Philippians 3, he says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For, for his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. And he says this, not having any righteousness of my own comes from the law, but that comes from Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Second Corinthians 5, says, be sin for us, in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here is our standing before God. Right? Nothing can derail a Jesus follower like losing sight of how because of Jesus, not because of yourself, not because of anything you've done or you haven't done, but because of him, not because of any short-sighted checklist that you've been knocking off lately or some discipline that you've really inhabited in your life recently that you're kind of like, I'm kind of killing it right now, that, that, that affects nothing on how you relate to God. But because Jesus, who was righteous, the only one who ever has been righteous, lived the life that we were supposed to live. He never got it wrong. It's baseball season, right? He batted a thousand. He got it right every time, got a hit every single time. He was perfection, holiness manifested. And then he became sin, took on the weight and the punishment and the penalty that our sin demanded. And because of that, because of that alone, we now appear before God, not with our righteousness, but with Christ's righteousness. That Jesus demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, not after we cleaned up and figured it out, he died for us. So the breastplate of righteousness guards our hearts against the accusations of shame and floods our hearts with the love of God. It protects us from shame. And you got to live as a Christian for about three weeks before you realize the effects that shame can have on your walk with Jesus. So you equip yourself with the breastplate of righteousness. And then Paul continues. 
and says, yeah, as you need the belt of truth, you need the breastplate of righteousness. And then you need to have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The shoes of the gospel. And you catch that, that it's this readiness that comes from the gospel and it brings peace. So a readiness and an awareness that the hostility and the division that exists in our lives, our communities, and our country, it's demonic. It's not, it's not the people that we don't like, but it's everything that's behind that. It's not flesh and blood, but it's powers, rulers, and demonic principalities. And like Ephesians 2 said, that Jesus himself is our peace, that this produces a readiness in us to become peacemakers, that we follow in the way of Jesus, who is the one who made peace, that he tore down the walls of hostility, becoming the ultimate peacemaker, not just a peacekeeper, but he entered into the story as a peace as a peacemaker with his shoes ready to do so with an alertness. And then he continues and says, and then you need to take up the shield of faith, right? He says, we're to employ the shield of faith in all circumstances. So I'm not a big war guy, right? But I can imagine if I ever was in a war, I'd have that shield up all the time, right? I'm not just a part-time guy. I'm an all the time shield guy if I'm in a war, right? That's what he's saying because the flaming darts of the evil one are always coming at us. And, and let's just think about this. What exactly are f- the flaming darts of the evil one? Well, Sam Storms, again, he, he says this. What Paul has in mind in this is the sudden and unexpected eruption in our minds of vile images and thoughts that shock us and surprise us, such that they're obvious and undeniably contrary to our most basic desires. He also likely has in words a picture that disgusts you or violates God's given sense of of property or morality, leaping into your mind, such as blasphemous thoughts about Jesus, revolting images of sexual perversity, suicidal urges, compulsive thoughts, or doing horribly violent things, unaccountable impulses to rebel against God, against one's families, or false feelings of shame or guilt. So just one encouragement. Have you you ever had that? You've been reading your Bible and all of a sudden you have this thought that you're like, I don't know where that thought came from. I don't know why I'm thinking that right now. And then all of a sudden you feel embarrassed and ashamed and you're never going to tell anybody that I was trying to read my Bible. I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to do the spiritual activity and I have this thought come into my head. Well, you're not crazy. He's saying that's, that's normal. That's a, that's a, that is a, that is a flaming dart of the evil one who wants to, who wants to drop crazy thoughts to derail your faith into your mind. Because one of those thoughts, just one, you can see it spiral out of control. It has the ability and the power to completely shake you up. And, it's, and, and Paul says that it's the shield of faith that combats those thoughts. And you're to have the shield up all the time. And it's actually why the shield of faith is coupled with what he calls the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. See, it's really interesting because nowhere in the Bible does it say that the devil can read our minds. It says that he, it says he plays his thoughts in our mind, but he never, never says that he can read our own minds. So it's why there's power in the spoken word. Right? See, see the word here, when it says this, it says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This word, word is actually really interesting because we have a couple different words for word, right? One, we have the, uh, the graphe, which is the book. It's, 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 it's the, the compilation of what's in the book, just the scriptures, right? And then we have this other word that's, that's logos, which is the content of the book. It's what's actually in there, the meaning of the book. But Paul doesn't use either one of those words. He actually uses this word that's called rhema. And rhema is utterance. 
Rhema is the word declared or the word spoken. And he's using this word Rhema in which context? In battle, right? In a battle. He says, your weapon is the spoken word of God, the sword of the spirit. Now, it's important because it's not just thinking about it, but it's actually saying the words. And it's really interesting because this is exactly what Jesus did, right? When we see, when we see his temptation in the wilderness from the devil, like if there's a scene that we're like, let's go, let's get it on. Jesus and the devil, one-on-one, Luke chapter 4, let's go. And what do we see? Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. Like, what? Like, that's, that's what it is? Like, I'm thinking they're going to get in like some force field fight. It's like, no, he's like, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And what happens? The devil flees. He's gone. Because it says as you resist the devil, he will flee from you. And it's the power in the spoken word, not just the thought word, not even just the red word, but the spoken word. There's this authority that comes that Satan must bow to in the spoken word of God. It says that as you speak it, he goes away. So friends, listen to me. If you have the spirit of God in you, the spirit of Jesus living inside of you, and you declare God's word, you have authority. And because you're clothed in Christ's righteousness, because you have the belts of truth, the helmet of salvation, the shoes of the gospel, the shield of faith, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, you have more authority than you think. So this is actually how I want to close this morning is I actually want to lead us in just in doing this because I wonder what it would look like if you prayed these scriptures out. Just just try it for like a week. Just pray these scriptures out loud. It'll take 60 seconds of your time. And just, just imagine yourself putting on the armor of God, but use it with your mouth because as you speak the word of God, he is absolutely allergic to the scriptures. He's allergic to it. He can't stay there. So, so what I want to do is I actually just want to practice this right now. We've already done a little bit of, a little bit of practice with our hands open and, and our eyes closed. So let's just, let's just keep that rolling. Um, but what I'm going to do is I'm just literally going to pray the scriptures. And I'm going to pray that God would equip us with his armor right now and just lead us in that practice. So if you would, let's just, let's just close our eyes. And if you'd open up your hands again, j- just to continue to signify the posture that we are receiving this armor, that you don't earn this armor, you don't deserve this armor, you haven't done anything to accomplish, but, but God, out of his grace, out of his desire to protect you and lead you and guide you in this war, to be the hero of the story, he wants to give it to you. So we just open up our hands and we say, God, we receive your armor. We put on the belt of truth, Lord. Would you guard our minds and our hearts? Would you help us to see things in reality? We, we, we put on your belt of truth. God, we, we, we put on the breastplate of righteousness, realizing that right now, even as we talk to you, it's not because we're good, not because we've done anything to earn it or deserve it, but we just put on Christ's righteousness. And God, we put on the shoes of readiness and, and eagerness to see that we are in a battle right now. We put on the shoes, we lace them up. And God, we put up our shield of faith, saying that the devil's lies and deception, they have no place here in Jesus' name. And God, we put on the helmet of salvation looking forward, saying that, God, you're going to redeem everything. 
that there will be a day when, when, when Satan and his demonic principalities and powers will come to an end. That they're on borrowed time right now. So we put on the helmet of salvation to look forward, to anchor our hope in the future. And God, we take all of this in the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and we proclaim this against the darkness. In Jesus' name, amen.